Sherlock Holmes. Not necessarily in that order. This is episode 8 for July 31st, 2016. The Charming Climate of Florida. Now let us consider the situation and see what may be deduced from it. In the first place, we may start with a strong presumption that Colonel Openshaw had some very strong reason for leaving America. Men at his time of life do not change all their habits and exchange willingly the charming climate of Florida for the lonely life of an English provincial town. That's from the Five Orange Pips, which my copy of Klinger's new annotated Sherlock Holmes dates as taking place in the autumn of 87. If you're used to foggy London and looking towards winter closing in, the subtropical climate of Florida must have seemed welcoming indeed. If Holmes had been to Orlando in late June and early July as I was this past month, I don't think charming is the word he would have chosen to describe it. Welcome to this Tangled Skein, a monthly podcast about yarn, tea, and Sherlock Holmes, though not necessarily in that order. I'm your host, Beth. Show notes can be found at thistangledskein.com, and you can get in touch with me at comments at thistangleskein.com. I'm also on most forms of social media, including Twitter, Instagram, Litzy, and Ravelry, as Plexippa. That's P as in Porlock, L-E-X-I-P-P-A. I was in Florida for the annual conference of the American Library Association. Both the annual conference and the association's midwinter meeting move around the country, and in one memorable instance into Canada, taking place in various host cities. In an effort to keep the cost somewhere in the range possible for librarians, or their employers if they're very lucky, to afford, they tend to be in hot places in the summer and cold places in the winter. I've been to midwinter meeting in Philadelphia three times, and a few years ago the summer conference was in Las Vegas. This is the second conference I've gone to in Orlando over the years. I really like annual conference. It's sort of like librarian summer camp with people from all kinds of libraries and, yes, other types of workplaces that are not necessarily libraries, but they can get together and share ideas and go home all fired up to try some new things. The annual conference is also where the Sub-Librarian Scion meets, the professional Sherlockian organization for librarians and people who love libraries, really. We had a Sherlockian salon where we discussed some of our favorite portrayals and our favorite characters and that sort of thing. We also did the traditional toasts to Holmes, Watson in the guise of Dr. Hill Barton, Baron Gruner, Kitty Winter, and of course Lomax, the sub-librarian himself. At this conference, I also gave a poster session with my library manager about our early literacy play kit collection. These are toys and related books that come in clear backpacks that people can check out from the library and take home. It's been a great program and we love it and it's been very popular. While we were chatting about the different panels we'd been to, my manager said I should do a Sherlock Holmes program for kids at our library. Yeah, I think I can do that. There might even already be some interest. At the beginning of June, our summer reading kickoff program was a puppet show called Sherlock Home Run, a whodunit puppet musical by Noteworthy Puppets. Here's the show description. The sports world is in turmoil over the theft of its most prized trophies. Someone has stolen the baseball diamond, and it's up to Sherlock Home Run to solve the mystery. 
Sherlock Home Run, a whodunit puppet musical, takes the iRead and CSLP sports-related summer reading themes of read for the win and on your mark, get set, read, and ties them right back into reading with a wacky musical retelling of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Featuring original songs, handmade puppets, and a choose-your-own-adventure style ending, young audiences will love embarking on this hilarious interactive adventure with Sherlock and Watson. It was amazing. That description leaves out the fact that Sherlock himself is a baseball, and Watson is a soccer ball, who Sherlock correctly deduces is from Mexico City, both of whom wear fabulous steampunk hats. The suspects are Charles Augustus Whistleton, Irene Sadler, yes, she rides horses, and Sporty Artie. I confess, it took me a moment to catch the pun on that last one. Sporty Artie. Sporty Artie. Guess which one the kids decided had committed the crime by the end. There were lots of nods to the canon stories, and the songs are funny and catchy. I'll link to the song Get a Clue in the show notes. This song includes the lyrics, The world is full of obvious things that nobody observes. Selecting what to notice is like choosing an hors d'oeuvre. Pick the tastiest of details, then store them in your mind, for the craftiest of criminals can still leave clues behind. Everyone enjoyed the show, and Kevin Newchester, the man behind Noteworthy Puppets, provides a helpful list of Sherlockian books for kids to read once their interest has been piqued. It was lots of fun. I, of course, took a terribly unflattering selfie with Sherlock and Watson after the show, as one does. Today's tea is not an Adagio fandom blend. I know, I know. I mentioned last episode that I was having trouble getting iced tea just right, and I really wanted some since it was ridiculously hot out. And then I went to Florida, where it was ridiculously hot out with added bonus humidity. Post-conference, my wife and daughter joined me in Florida so that we could visit with my parents and some extended family who live over there. Before we did that, though, we went to Disney World. Because you can't take a nine-year-old to Florida and not go to Disney World, even if you live an hour or so from Disneyland the rest of the year. The first day, we went to Epcot, which I dearly love. My family went when it first opened, when I was a little bit younger than my daughter is now. Among other things, we rode Spaceship Earth and Journey into Imagination, both of which were old favorites of mine, and they've changed radically over the intervening years. We also spent quite a lot of time in the World Showcase, having lunch at the Morocco Pavilion and dinner at the Italy Pavilion. One of the things about the World Showcase is that the employees, excuse me, cast members at the various pavilions are from the countries represented. So we encouraged our daughter to ask questions. She asked one of the gentlemen from Morocco if he preferred the weather back home or the weather in Orlando. He was very diplomatic, but he did note that Florida has a lot more humidity. During the afternoon, I stopped in at the Tea Caddy in the UK Pavilion, because of course there's a tea shop in the UK Pavilion. I picked up a box of Twining's Cold Brewed Citrus Twist Iced Tea. The description says, Fine black tea expertly blended with the delightful flavors of orange, lemon, lime, and bergamot to deliver a refreshing iced tea with a delicately sweet taste and a light citrus aroma. Enjoy sweetened or plain. I get a lot of citrus flavor from this tea. Mm, Not so much tea flavor, but it is good. Even though I usually sweeten my tea, I am drinking this one plain and it's just fine, which is good. Because I found that when I put sugar in my iced tea, it just sinks to the bottom and then sits there as if mocking me. I love the fact that this tea actually brews in five minutes in cold water. That is very convenient. 
I've seen that Twinings does have a few other flavors, and I think I'd like to try the green tea with mint next. While I was at the conference, I picked up several ARCs, or advanced review copies. These are the paperback, unfinished editions of books that publishers give to reviewers and other folks who influence book purchasing, like librarians, and these days, book bloggers. Because I knew I had to get anything that I took home in my baggage along with everything else, I tried to be very selective. But I did find two books of Sherlockian interest. One was a two-in-one arc of the first two books in A.J. Lowe's Sherlock Sam series. This is a middle grade series originally published in Singapore and scheduled for release here in the United States on August 2nd. The first two books are called The Missing Heirloom in Katong and The Ghostly Moans in Fort Canning. In the series, 10-year-old Samuel Tan Sherlock, aka Sherlock Sam, solves mysteries with his robotic dog Watson and his friends in the supper club. A.J. Lowe is a pseudonym for a Singapore-based husband and wife team, Aidan Jimenez and Felicia Lowe Jimenez. The books include some black and white illustrations and a glossary of Singaporean terms to help us American readers out. It looks like it's going to be a fresh take on Sherlock for kids, and the reviews I've seen have been very positive. The second book was Elizabeth Yulberg's The Great Shelby Holmes. This is also a new take on Sherlock for kids. It's due for publication on September 6th. So in retrospect, I probably should have read Sherlock Sam first since it comes out first. Oops. Anyway, I read The Great Shelby Holmes while I was in Florida, and I absolutely adore it. The narrator is 11-year-old John Watson, who has just moved into an apartment in Harlem with his recently discharged army doctor mom. And I do mean just moved in. He's actually following the movers into the apartment when there's an explosion somewhere in the building that startles everyone but the landlady, Mrs. Hudson. Shortly afterward, Mrs. Hudson brings someone to the door to speak to John and Dr. Watson. It goes like this. A skinny white girl with bright red frizzy hair came forward. She had on an oversized white lab coat and goggles pushed up on her forehead. From the waist up, she was covered with black soot, except where the goggles had been. She placed a hand on her hip. I've been informed by Mrs. Hudson that my harmless and perfectly safe experiment has made for an unpleasant moving day for you. I've been instructed to apologize. She sighed heavily. And that's how John Watson meets nine-year-old Shelby Holmes, who immediately proceeds to ask John's mother, how long were you in Afghanistan? <laughs> Reluctantly, John finds himself tagging along with Shelby as she makes her rounds of the neighborhood and gets involved with solving a dog-napping mystery. It's reluctant because he is, after all, an 11-year-old boy, and she's a 9-year-old girl who clearly has some very peculiar ways about her. But she's also really interesting. And Yulberg absolutely nails the friendship that develops between Holmes and Watson. There's a moment, maybe three-quarters of the way into the book, when Shelby's analytical nature finally frustrates John to the point where he believes that she only sees him as some sort of burden. And he starts shouting at her about recognizing people's feelings. He has been helping her with her investigation, but he's also trying to make friends in his new neighborhood. As he's shouting at her, she's reaching into her bag for something. She's brought him water, an orange and string cheese, because he has diabetes and has been playing basketball, and she thought he could use a healthy snack. And this is when he realizes that she does care about him in her Holmesian way. She just isn't the type to say it out loud. It reminded me of that 1985 interview with Jeremy Brett that was making the rounds on Twitter a while ago. One of the things Brett says in that interview is, 
But what Holmes does occasionally is rather sweet little things. Like in A Scandal in Bohemia, he tells Watson, You see, I did remember you were coming. Here are your cigars. And it's the little things that mean a lot. I tried to show how much Holmes does actually need Watson without actually saying it. That is the relationship that Yulberg shows developing between John and Shelby. The only thing I disliked about the book was the portrayal of Detective Lestrade, who's downright mean to Shelby. Since in this version, Shelby's a child and Lestrade is an adult, there is a power differential that doesn't exist in the original stories. In the canon, when Holmes and Lestrade, or any of the yarders, get combative with each other, it seems natural, because they're all grown men and all trying to do a job that puts them at odds with each other. But because Shelby's a child, it reads very differently when she and an adult Lestrade criticize each other. I don't know that there's a way around it. I do know that this is supposed to be the first book in a trilogy, with the following books released in the fall in 2017 and 2018, so I hope that Lestrade and Shelby will come to some sort of understanding by the end. The early part of this month was crafting heavy, since round two of Nerdopolis began on the 1st, and Tour de Fleece began along with the Tour de France on July 2nd. I was still in Florida in those early days of July, but I brought a spindle and some samples from past fat fiber boxes to spin up. I started with some Ninoco Chromatops Merino from February 2014. It came as a set of 10 colors called Carmine, Oxblood, Vermilion, Uberry, Cinnabar, Fandango, Saffron, Lapis, Beryl, and Azure, spanning the rainbow. I divided each sample in half and spun it from red to purple and then back purple to red so I could ply the two ends together into one mini skein that should have progressed through the rainbow. I say it should have because something weird happened and only the first few colors matched up and then everything else ended up as barber poles of two colors. It did still look pretty rainbowy though, so I entered it into the Nerdopolis wildcard event under the theme window. I found a photo of a beautiful stained glass rainbow window in New Zealand for the theme tie-in and used a screenshot from a Granada Holmes episode that had some rainbow lighting effect in it for the Team 221B shout-out. My next project combined samples of Dying Art Superwash Merino and Shadowin Fiber Art Superwash Merino that made a bright blue, hot pink, and black mini skein. It's very 80s. It went into Nerdopolis University for the theme National Parks. How did that tie in? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. At the Channel Islands National Park, you can see gorgeous comb jellyfish, which are bioluminescent, and the photo I found shows the jellyfish glowing bright blue with a bit of pink against water that appeared black in the night. For the Team 221B shout-out, what else but the story of the lion's mane? Project 3 was made from naturally merino that's been sitting in my stash since 2012, and some Wittershins Woolworks merino that I have no idea how long I've had. This gave me an orange and green mini skein I'm calling Pumpkin Patch but which I entered into Nerdopolis Carousel Global Community, which had an Olympics theme. This was a tough one to find a tie-in for, but I did it! The 1994 Winter Games in Lillehammer. You see, I kind of love the Olympics mascots, and the mascots for Lillehammer were a pair of kids who happened to be dressed in green and orange. The Team 221B shout-out was a photo of my green and orange skein on top of my bearing gold annotated Sherlock Holmes, the cover of which is also orange and green. It's tough to come up with tie-ins other than color for spinning projects, really. I should note that I do all of my hand spinning on drop spindles. Occasionally, the drop part is a little bit too literal. I was winding yarn off of my specially made Tour de Fleece spindle from Turtle Maid. 
It has a world that's black with white spokes like a bike wheel. And the white spokes, by the way, glow in the dark. Anyway, I discovered that I'd had what the tour commentators might call a mechanical. That's right, I managed to break my spindle. It's still usable, but I'm a little bit sad about it. In any case, I did have one more entry for July, in the Area 51 event. For all other events, projects have to be started and completed within the month. Area 51 is for those languishing, unfinished objects, or UFOs. For this one, I found a spinning project that I had set aside at some point, I don't even know when. It was definitely sometime before we moved back in January. The fiber was a full four ounces of Yarn Love Marianne in the colorway Plum Cake, which was mostly off-white with some purple and brown. I had about two-thirds of an ounce on the spindle when I found it. I had planned to spin the rest in June for a challenge in the spindler's group, but I didn't quite finish. So I finished it off in July. The colors matched a photo still of Mary in the empty hearse, and the theme for that Nerdopolis challenge this month was very punny. Since the tag on my fiber just said 100% wool, I went with, you know what they say, all's wool that ends wool. The big news in Sherlockian internet circles this month has mostly revolved around two things that came out of Comic-Con in San Diego. One of those things was an interview with BBC Sherlock creators Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, in which they said once again that their Sherlock Holmes and John Watson are most emphatically not a couple. Mark Gatiss is quoted as saying, It's worth saying, because we never get the opportunity to actually say it. The whole notion, the idea of them possibly being a couple, is inspired by the joke in the Billy Wilder film The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, our favorite version. And we thought that was a good idea to run with that. In the 21st century, it wouldn't be an issue. People would just assume. Maybe we've done it too many times. I don't know. That's all it is. He explicitly says he is not interested. Doesn't mean he couldn't be. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. I'm a gay man. This is not an issue. But we've explicitly said this is not going to happen. There is no game plan, no matter how much we lie about other things, that this show is going to culminate in Martin and Benedict going off into the sunset together. They are not going to do it. And if people want to write whatever they like and have a great time extrapolating, that's absolutely fine. But there is no hidden or exposed agenda. So, two things about that. First, I want to note that Gatiss here and Moffat elsewhere says absolutely nothing bad about what other people write in their own fanfiction. He says, if people want to write whatever they like and have a great time extrapolating, that's absolutely fine. Great. What they are frustrated with, and rightly so in my humble opinion, is people arguing that the BBC Sherlock is doing things or going to do things that it is not doing, and then getting angry when the show doesn't do those things that the creators quite explicitly said it wasn't going to do. Second thing, maybe we've done it too many times. Gee, Mark, you think? The other big news out of Comic-Con was the release of the teaser trailer for season four. It is full of tantalizing glimpses of what we'll get when the show finally airs. Lady Smallwood, Culverton Smith, Mary with a gun, Sherlock at the pool, Moriarty at the beach. What does it all mean? I have no idea, but I'm looking forward to finding out. In the meantime, I'll be keeping busy with the John H. Watson Society annual treasure hunt, which begins August 1st. This year, I'm teaming up with Brad Kefauver, Rob Nunn, and Ron Lees in an attempt to conquer this thing. 
Margie Deck, our treasure hunt mistress, tells me that this year I should be able to answer question number seven. No promises on any of the others. And she's adopted the hashtag treasure or torture on Twitter, so that should be an indication of something. I've got my annotated editions of the canon and various other resources all lined up. And I probably should note that even though I'm currently the head of the John H. Watson Society, I don't get to see those questions in advance. I have absolutely no advantage over anybody. Until the treasure hunt goes live on the 1st, I can distract myself with the new issue of the Retired Beekeepers of Sussex's journal, The Practical Handbook of Beekeeping, the hard copy of which arrived in my mailbox the other day. The theme is Experience of Women, and I have a small fiction piece about Agatha and Escott in it. You can download the digital copy for whatever you'd like to donate. The link is in the show notes. It's a great publication, exploring facets of Sherlockiana that might not get much attention elsewhere. Their next issue has the theme Retirement, so start thinking about what you might like to submit. I also finally got the digital edition of Robin Stevens' Murder is Bad Manners, the American publication of Murder Most Unladylike, from my library. So far, I'm finding it rather jarring to have prefects and a head girl, but oddly 7th and 8th graders. Uh, Not loving that bit of Americanization. We'll see how the rest of it goes. While I was traveling, I couldn't help but purchase a few souvenirs to bring home. I've already told you about the tea, but I also had a chance to go to a yarn store in St. Petersburg, on my dad's recommendation, and found some fiber seed sprout, a sock yarn from a local dyer. I bought a skein of Florida Summer Sky, a combination of blue and gray with a small section of green. My dad, my sister, and the yarn shop owner all agreed that this was an accurate representation of the summer sky in Florida. My daughter picked out a pair of fiber seed seedlings, mini skeins of sprout, in cinnamon and mint, so I can make her a teeny tiny mochi mochi mermaid. Oh yes, we're still on the teeny tiny mochi mochis. My dad also took me to a local bookshop, where I found a shelf of Sherlockian books. Mindful of the things I already had to pack up and take home, I limited myself to a copy of Baker Street Byways and a Sherlock Holmes greeting card that comes with little speech bubble quotation stickers. So yes, on my trip, I found for souvenirs to bring home, yarn, tea, and Sherlock Holmes. That's all I have for this month, so until next time, I bid you goodbye. You've been listening to This Tangled Skin, a monthly podcast about yarn, tea, and Sherlock Holmes not necessarily in that order. Show notes can be found at thistangledskein.com and you can reach me by email at comments at thistangledskein.com. I can be found on most forms of social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and Ravelry as Plexipa. That's P as in Porlock, L-E-X-I-P-P-A. Reviews and star ratings on iTunes are always appreciated.